Hi, this is your host, Christina Stroud. Welcome to Manufacturing 365, where we spend time learning from each other. We will hear from manufacturing rock stars, startup founders, thought leaders, and others to support this platform's purpose. We'll share ideas, set examples, and be a little thought-provoking in the manufacturing world. Hi, David. It's great to see you. Good morning. I appreciate you agreeing to be on our podcast, uh, Manufacturing 365. We typically target other executives in manufacturing and packaging companies, and we like to share tips, tricks, career stories so that the colleagues out there, the other executives um, can connect to you and learn more about you. And also, I think kind of that mid-level management will pick up some some lessons from you, things that have worked well, things that haven't worked well, because I always believe in passing information on to folks that want to get to be in your shoes at some point. So I really appreciate it. I love it. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So you and I met um, several years ago. Our paths just happened to cross. And we have kept in touch over the past few years, which has been great. I think the times that we've talked, you were always out skiing, teleskiing, <laughs> I think, at one point. Yeah. You were running races. Um, so I think you you have a work-life balance, which we'll want to talk about at some point. But I always it, it, like to hear about your adventures. Yeah, absolutely. That's where you've caught me for sure. I have. So why don't we start out by you telling us um, a little bit about your background, just kind of a your career story, so all of our listeners can learn more about you and why I asked you to be on the podcast. Great. Um, so after the army, um, I I was a, I was a LERP in the army long range reconnaissance, and um, the army was a, a great path to start with to kind of set me straight from some some of my um, younger behavior behaviors it's great to get the discipline from from the army and um, uh, it's such a great thing to be able to serve the country and then also there's so many benefits that come out of it so paid for school um, went to school at UNR for uh, supply chain and logistics um, graduated and started my career so I kind of talk about how my career has progressed. I uh, spent the first half of my career in the uh, service provider side, UPS, APL. I would say I did the obligatory dot bomb in the middle. Uh, we created an ERP system for the airline in-flight industry. Unfortunately, with 9-11 occurring, it kind of decimated the uh, the business model and the, you know so oh, many wow. other negative impacts uh, across the globe. Um, and then I spent a lot of time in manufacturing and, and distribution since then. Chiquita, uh, Archway Mother's Cookies, and um, spent a good bit, bit of time with uh, Evergreen Packaging, kind of a name behind the name, had the market kind of cornered in gable top uh, cartons. Uh, interesting business. I was invited uh, by a mid-sized company to come up to Kentucky. A service business, a safety distributor uh, as well, and kind of took on a, a leadership role in that business. Uh, spent seven years there and just recently joined Inception. Inception is a really cool story. Um, our CEO, Farzad Debachi, has started several tech companies uh, over his 
history, one of the, you know, originals at Oracle. And um, I, we are digitizing the industrial uh, value chain. So um, wh what that means is when you think about the whole progression of activities and functions and manpower or people power and, and intensity it takes to uh, procure in the industrial world all the way from sourcing in another country and the people you have to have on the ground all the way through uh, the, you know, the, the procurement activities and the supply chain activities and the fulfillment activities all the way on to your, your uh, customer or the consumer, it takes a lot of bandwidth. Well, we've kind of uh, um, uh, digitized that whole value chain and made it easier. Um, a lot of focus right now in the solar uh, industry for us, and then also those supply chain services. So my responsibilities are the uh, kind of the, the SaaS, the software uh, behind the supply chain, as well as the services uh, as well. That sounds like a really interesting company. What drew you to them? I, you know, when I first talked to Farzad, he, I, I, I asked him, what is, what, what does success look like? And I was really wondering how he would answer that and I had two words in my mind. It was either going to be uh, financial or disruption. And he led with disruption. And just how cool is that to be part of a business where our true intent is to really um, create a disruptive model in a very positive way? for global commerce. And that's really the fun part of it is Absolutely. when you can, you know, do something really neat that others are going to love to to be able to have and um, watch all of the work you're putting into it come to fruition and it's and it's a disruptor. That's that's a lot of fun. I've done a couple of those and it's it just kind of keeps you energized about what you're doing. It's a fast pace and um, but it's a lot of fun. Excellent. So I want to go back really early in your career. Um, you said you took your first job in supply chain. What was it about supply chain that interested you? Because that's a lot of people move to supply chain. Um, but how did you know or what, what prompted you to go that path? It, it was just such a natural fit for me. I had, um, I, I was in, a, a business school originally at the University of Maryland and just could not figure out what I wanted to do. I enjoy economics, but I could not see myself as an economist. I um, like other you know, aspects of, of uh, doing business, but when I discovered supply chain and logistics, and it's that mix of um, kind of taking the business into action, uh, it just drew me in. And I've stayed true to that path throughout my career. That's really fascinating. I, um, I do a lot of work with my friends' kids who are in college and they're trying to figure out what to do with their life and uh, who really knows at you know, 18, 19 years old. So they're trying to pick classes in school and majors. And I always tell them to check out logistics, supply chain, operations roles, because they will always be there. The technology is always changing. Um, and it, there's so many different directions you can go in that career path. And it's, um, it's really fascinating. Most of them don't, aren't introduced to that, um, you know, that early in life. They don't know that that's a, a career choice. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so true. And um, you, you mentioned it's an exciting path. It is because you need people with supply chain talent um, behind 
all the business, uh, the, the ways that you think about business, verticals, products, channels, technology. Um, we are, you know, right in the middle of all those aspects. So it's a great place to be. And a lot of leaders are born out of this career, career path. Yeah. Yep, for sure. And it's definitely done well by you. So I know, oh, thank um, you. you know, you have found the, your passion and I think that's so great. The other thing about um, in your early career, I know you probably have some learnings or things that you've thought about, you know, looking back on your career those first couple years. Um, can you give us one or two learnings that you've had from that time period? Yeah. So, I, you know, one of the, the actually, let me, let me give you the, the context for this. Uh, my very first role, uh, once I graduated from college, was uh, in, in a startup distribution center. Very modern. Even today, as I, I think back at what we were doing, it was um, uh, very high-tech by today's standards. Uh, when I started, there were three walls and no roof yet. So really at the kind of the, the ground date, uh, breaking moment. And it was fast paced, a lot of challenges implementing technology back then. And, um, the two key things I, I learned, I mean, when you think about supply chain and logistics and so many manufacturing, uh, positions, we are truly in a foxhole together. It's a war out there. Um, it's, 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 it's tough. There's a lot of pressure. Um, one of the things I'm so grateful that I learned in that first position was, um, the value of delegating. You always look to hire uh, a great team and great people. And early in your career, people tend to try to, you know, hold on to, uh, activities and roles learning that value uh, or, or that skill is so incredibly important because there's only so much stress that any one person can take. And when you are feeling like you're uh, kind of bumping it up against that, that point of, you know, kind of no return, it's delegation. That, that's the key. Ask for help. Uh, people are willing. People are smart. They may not always do it, do things in the same way you do it. And you'd be uh, surprised how often it either comes out better, maybe a little differently than you expected, um, but that's so incredibly valuable. The, the other thing I learned, um, you know, kind, kind of the hard way, and I'm glad I learned it early, um, and that's that it's, it's not personal. It is, it is business. So uh, you do need to keep your emotions in, in check. You will get stressed, uh, but never never take it out on anybody never yell i yelled once in my career it was during that <laughs> it, it was during that period and i've never done it again because in the end i always regarded it it just wasn't it, it, it didn't make sense it's not worthwhile it wasn't personal so two valuable things i learned and it stuck with you yeah and you remember that story now many years later so it really must have made an impact i will not say how many years ago though <laughs> you know and the delegation part is interesting because we tell sometimes people you need to delegate more you need to delegate more but i don't think people that are early in their career know how to do that or know, you know know what that means if they were promoted from within, 
you know, you're telling people that were your former peers now to do some of the things you'd ask them to do. And that's awkward and hard. Um, You know, the same if you have somebody new in the company come in and they're delegating more than what you're used to, then, you know, they're the bad guy and the outsider coming in and, and asking the other employees to do more. So it's, it's a tough skill to learn. And I, I think it takes a lot of people a lot of time to really be able to do it effectively. It truly is one of those kind of breakthrough moments when you kind of first accept that that is the right path. Um, you're right. It's tough. But once you get there, it, it's, it's also rewarding because you allow other people to and you get to see people shine. Excellent. Yeah, I totally agree. That's one of the things I've I've always liked when you and I have chatted is you're always thinking about the people and what effect it has on them, positive or negative. And you also always look back at everything you've done and take away lessons from it. So I really appreciate your perspective. Thank you. I know you've managed people almost your whole career. um, And sometimes that can be hard to do in a, in, the supply chain field because you've got a lot of people scattered and doing lots of different things and you can't um, work in a silo in any part of uh, supply chain, or at least it's not going to go well. When you look at um, managing people, can you share some perspective or thoughts on managing the people in the supply chain area that maybe other leaders like yourself might not have you know, thought about? Um, or acted on something you can share with others? Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's not just supply chain. I think in supply chain, it, it, it can be a little more difficult because you're right. You may have people spread across the globe. Um, it, in the end, the, what, what I have found that the, the best way to you know, manage teams and diverse, who, who are diverse and are in um, different locations is just make sure that people understand or the team understands their why. Um, why is what they do important? And that starts with um, making sure you're communicating and talking about the mission, strategy, business goals, and personal goals. And that's actually the performance management process. And it's a, a full cycle process. People tend to think that's about performance reviews. No, that could be a small piece. And you know that has really changed over the years uh, anyway. It's really a full cycle co- kind of communication path. Um, you know, one of the things I've, I've heard so many times throughout my career, when businesses are getting the pulse of uh, all the people around the business, we always hear about, well, they don't communicate n- enough. And who's the, de- the they? The they is, they're always talking about management. Well, they don't communicate enough. What, what does that mean? And how do, we, how, do, how do we take that forward? So often, okay, we need to do more town halls. We need to uh, put out a, 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 um, a, a weekly newsletter. And all those things are good, by the way. Uh, absolutely the right thing to do. But in the end, uh, what people are really saying is they want to know what what they're going to do next and why it's important to the business. Why are they coming to work every day? Um, 
so that I mean, I, I, I think that's the key in, in managing whether it's, um, you know, you've got everybody on site in one location or spread across the globe. It's a good point. And when um, I, I know when I was in HR, whenever they decided to do some type of engagement survey um, or people are coming out of their per, their reviews and they say the number one issue is communication, I want to do one right. of those head plants because that doesn't really yeah tell me anything and there you know i can't just say you know okay we're going to do these three things well those three things are not going to fix the issue for everybody everybody right. wants communication in a different method but i think you know i hadn't thought about it the way you presented it but if you know you're right if if that person knows where they are why they're important where they're going just that alone gives them the confidence and the understanding and feeling a lot more like they're part of the business um, and just not a person hanging out there. And, and, and as a manager, you have to be willing to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations because again, town halls and, and newsletters are great. They're important, but people want that touch. And that's where you really find out um, what they need to know and what they want to know. And you can really talk about, about them. That's, that's the important part. Right. And it doesn't have to be in a performance review once a year. Like, you know, like you said, it can be continuous. Some can be spontaneous. Absolutely. Some can be a little more planned. But, you know, keep keep talking to them about it. Um, and then they know, too, that they're on your mind. Uh, so I like that. It's a good point. And always drive it back to, uh, you know, business happens. So you're going to get scattered along the way, especially, you know, in different types of businesses. Um, you know, right now I'm in a, in a very fast paced business in a, you know, a tech company. And um, it, it's, it's always come back to those uh, goals, the business goals and, and tie it back together for them. I think that's a big key. That's a great point. Really good point. Um, so I was as I was preparing for this call, I realized that you and I met, I think, during COVID or around hmm. that uh, time. Um, how has COVID impacted um, work for you and for your teams um, and maybe supply chain in general? What, what, ha what effect did that have? Uh, so when COVID happened, I had, I had already been thinking about contingency planning. So I, I'm, I'm glad to say in the business I was at, uh, in, at that time, um, we, we were prepared. I mean, the day it happened, I was already wondering what would happen if a tornado had, had come through and, um, you know, you don't know what, uh, what catastrophe may hit a business at any at any moment? And um, interestingly enough, I was at a supply chain conference years ago, uh, and Rudy Giuliani was actually uh, speaking, and he talked about uh, New York during 9/11 and why they were um, why the effort was um, so collaborative, and they were able to respond quickly in such a big disaster. And it was because uh, they had done a lot of contingency planning. They didn't know what disaster is going to happen. Um, and, and, and you can never make that prediction. Uh, but you do need to plan. And um, when, it, when, when COVID hit, um, in fact, I had, a, I had a team that had just come back from China in February of, of 20. And of course, I got COVID in uh, probably a, a week or two later, but we were already um, um, fully 
working remotely, those that could, um, had implemented the plans uh, for the best possible conditions for those that couldn't work from home. And uh, having had that planning in place, we were, you know, on top of the industry for, for what we were doing. Um, so I, I would, uh, you know, generally just, you know, that, that kind of advice, always have those contingency plans in place. Uh, for us, it was all about working uh, remotely, which obviously that affected the, uh, the, the, you know, the globe. Um, so we, we kind of thrived during that time we had to change our model and how we communicated and all that. And we were, we're ready and prepared. That's interesting. Um, I talked to a lot of folks in supply chain and they were not prepared. Um, and so they had employees to figure out and what to do with them and still, how do you keep what, you know, wherever they're working running and not lose product or not lose if they were a distribution house. And, and it, it was, they just, it just caught so many people off guard and they didn't, have any plans or even know if they could do remote work um, because they they hadn't thought about that just wasn't something we planned for so um, I was sad to see how much effect it had on supply chain for sure yeah it was it was interesting I mean not only were we prepared technologically I had already like the year prior said we can't have any more desktops and we have to have people work from home once a month just to make sure the technology actually works if we have to use it. But not only that, we had feet on the ground um, in other countries. So while supply chains were starving, <laughs> the funny thing is we had people, you know, putting product, uh, you know, at factories overseas, getting product in their trunks, <laughs> taking it to the airport, getting it on airplanes, um, and it was the only product available around the world. So it was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That's that's interesting. We had um, locally, I'm, you know, I'm in South Carolina and we had um, a hurricane come through. I think it was two years ago now. Um, and it went right um, through a manufacturing plant that mm. makes parts for the automotive industry. And we have a lot of automotive right in my area. And it took out the entire warehouse, um, but thankfully didn't affect the manufacturing side. So they were able to get, still make product. I think they had two or three down, days down, but not right. much. Um, but the warehouse was gone, completely gone. Um, they had it back and operating in uh, four weeks. They rented a space, they moved everything. Um, they had all of their employees were still working somewhere else in the plant so they didn't lose pay. Um, you know, all they they were not planned for the work for home um, at all, but they did have plans on, you know, where they could go, how they could move things, how they could get, yeah. you know, materials in. And um, it, around here, it was really big news how quickly they were up and running because everyone thought it was going to take months, you know, for them to rebuild. And, and it was it was pretty impressive. I, I'd, I'd love to share one more story about kind of disaster recovery. Um, probably okay. one of the best. I mean, COVID, of course, big deal. And, and we were, you know, successful in that transition. But um, when I was with uh, Chiquita, Katrina happened 
And, uh, you, you know, if you think about uh, fruit, it's all movement from the tropics up, up to the U.S. Uh, so we, we have ports along the coast. We had uh, uh, we were operating out of the port of Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, and actually, as Katrina, I don't know if you recall, Katrina started um, out east, of course, and actually came over Florida. Our entire supply chain team happened to be at a conference in Florida when Katrina rolled over Florida. It, it was Great a, timing. It was a minor hurricane <laughs> at that point, but it gave us the opportunity to you know get to the right places. Um, when when Katrina occurred, of course, we were great at planning for um, hurricanes because it was a typical type of incident and we needed to know what to do. Katrina was just such a different thing, uh, just such a different catastrophic event. Uh, it truly wiped uh, Gulfport and, and our port and our operations uh, off the map. Um, we, and now that year, by the way, it wasn't just Katrina from a supply chain perspective. It was, um, let's see, Katrina, Rita, Wilma, Beta, and Gamma. So five major hurricanes that year. So when that happened in, in, in Gulfport, we, uh, we were the first to respond, the first back, in op uh, back to operating. We were the first to make sure all of our employees were safe, housed, um, and um, um, employed, obviously incredibly uh, important to them. We were the first to move our operations to another port, which is a, a huge supply chain and logistical uh, undertaking. So we moved I to um, um, uh, to uh, Freeport, Texas, and then Rita came. <laughs> and we moved from Freeport to Jacksonville, and then uh, I, 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 and then Wilma came, and then there was you know Beta and Gamma, and so that that contingency planning is you're, you're right, it's so incredibly important. Um, even if it, you know you can't plan for everything. But knowing what you're going to do, how you're going to respond, how you're going to talk to people, um, how you're going to talk to your customers, very important. That's true. That's true. You, I mean, I tend to think about how it's affecting my company, but I, you know, there's the other part of that equation is you've got to talk to the people that you need to get to uh, your customers, and definitely in. You know, you think you can give them one date, but then when it, something else happens, you know, and you're having to move again, then you have to just stay in constant contact with them and hopefully have good relationships built with them by then anyway, which would make it. Hey, when those things happen, it's kind of like the bear in the woods scenario. You don't have to uh, run faster than the bear, just faster than your competition in this case. Um, so when you have the right plans in place, um, it actually can be a shining moment for your business as well. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It really lets them know that, you know, you were on top of it and you've already got your actions in place because you had prepared. And um, if I were one of the customers, I'd be pretty darn impressed. So so that's a great story. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you probably know I'm going to ask about this because I said it at the beginning. And I, I think every time I talk to you, I ask what your latest adventure is. Um, but I want to get I want to share a little bit about personally about you. Um, and then we'll get back to some work stuff. But 
what um how do you balance all of this um the the breadth of supply chain and operations you know that's very stressful you have to think very quickly like you said you have to forward think you have to work in the operational piece every day so when you go home and you have all this in your head how do you really manage to get rid of it or do you and i you know, I know you. I know about the the skiing part, so maybe you can tell us a little bit uh, about all of that. Yeah, for for me, actually, it's about physical activity. You're right. I, I'm I'm an avid skier. I love that kind of top of world feeling that you get when you're standing at the top of a double diamond and just you know looking out at the you know mountaintops above, sticking above the clouds. Uh, but that that's not a daily thing that I can do to um, uh, to to. <laughs> Um, you know, wind down for me, uh, you know, I run a lot and, um, it's actually where my most, um, strategic thinking happens. I mean, I think about life, I think about, um, uh, you know, my, my family, um, and obviously my mind goes to work as well. And some of my best ideas come out when, um, you know, on a, long run on a, on a Saturday morning. Right. And I think one of the, one of the very first conversations we had, you were about to hello ski. Is that right? Or hello Hello ski. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And was that in it? Was that at Alaska? Was that where you were? Probably was. uh, Yeah. That was probably Alaska. Yeah. Okay. so So tell me a little bit about that. What, what is that? So, well, let me start with the good news and bad news of living in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it's a great city, great place to live, yep. but there is no skiing that's close. So the bad news is it takes a long time to get anywhere. The good news is that since it does, you can go anywhere you want. And uh, right. so, um, you know, <laughs> a, a, a lot of adventurous places. Um, yeah. Hell skiing is instead of um, taking a, a ski lift up, you uh, have a helicopter take you up and you're essentially, you know, skiing in virgin territory where nobody else has, has been. And, um, you know, you see those in movies or in magazines, those, yeah, I'm sorry. I dated myself magazines. I said it, um, <laughs> um you, you know, you see those pictures with, uh, uh, you know, fresh tracks in, in the snow down a beautiful mountain or through the woods and all that, 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 that's how you get there. And this doesn't scare you. I've always been in the, in, in a journal and junkie, and that's 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 what I dream about. So, um, you know, my work life balance again. I, it's it's you know it's the running on uh, you know most weekends, but it's the always you know dreaming and planning that next trip to you know hit the slopes. And so, what's your next big adventure? Um, well, sadly, right now I have to get knee surgery uh, because of all <laughs> no. that running. So I haven't planned it yet. <laughs> But we want to go back okay. and, and uh, ski again in Europe. And, um, uh, you know, there's still a few places, not too many in the U.S. that that I want to hit as well. Right. I learned to ski in Austria. Kitzbühel. Um, which was beautiful. Yes, actually. And it was a great place to learn. They had amazing instructors. Yeah. Um, the, the down part was I was in my 40s when I learned. Oh. And so my head was ahead of my body <laughs> and I was just nervous and scared and thus very, very timid. 
So I don't think I got past the bunny slopes, maybe one level higher. I think if I had learned when I was younger, um, when there's no fear and, you know, and it's, you know, you can't think about what could happen. um, I would have loved it because I, I enjoy just learning it. Um, but I, I wish I had started much younger. I, I, um, I broke my leg my first time skiing, but I was young and I've broken ribs, torn a shoulder, but that's because I kind of, you know, I'm out there, you know, jumping off of things and doing some, you know, silly things, but incredibly fun. But you're right. Learning when you're young is, is kind of the key. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I can do a lot of things as I'm older, but ski, <laughs> learning to ski is probably not one of them. But I, anytime it's one of my friends or I'm talking to a colleague or something and they talk about skiing or running these marathons and stuff, I think of you every single time because that's when I met you as you were doing this. And I, so you definitely um, were very, very memorable with your stories. Uh, I actually, my LinkedIn background photo is actually from a ski trip. So oh, it is. It, it, That's it is. great. That's my personal picture. I'll have to go back. I'll have to go back and look again. I can't remember. I can't visualize it right now, but I'll have to. Yeah. Well, that's who you are. So why not put it on LinkedIn? That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So um, as we wind down, I have a couple questions that I ask every guest um, because I think they're really. It gives us some insight into you, but also it can help others as they're talking about their careers and paths and how they can um, advance uh, themselves. Um, I find that a lot of times we can get some gold nuggets out of out of these questions. So um, the first thing I want to ask you is what career advice do you have for, say, that middle manager level somebody who wants to be kind of at that director level, um, you know, to, to advance there, what, what career advice would you have for them? There's two things I, I think about. One um, is we, there's an awful lot of conversation nowadays about the younger generation. And what, what I would say, so I, you know, we also talked about connecting with people and, you know, helping them to understand their why. When we talk about the younger generation today, we talk about their, you know, work ethic and all that. I actually I would tell people that people haven't changed. We've not evolved in one generation. What's changed is the technology around us and, and what kind of, you know, stimulates us. So um, just keep that in mind. You just need to find the right triggers and the right motivations for people. Uh, you know, again, provide the why. Um, people want to succeed just the same as they did, you know, 20 years ago or 50 years ago. Um, and just think about what's changed over the last 50 and 100 years and how different it is. Um, but people are still the same. They still have the same motivators. And it's just a matter of finding that in a new technological age. That's interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I like that. And the the other thing for I would mention to, you know, kind of that mid-career level, um, especially somebody taking on the role as a, a, a new director, you'll find yourself negotiating, um, whether it be externally with suppliers and vendors or internally across functions, because now you now you own a function, but you can't you can't 
um, operate your function without relying on a lot of other, you know, departments and people as well. Um, so life is always a balance and a negotiation. So I would say, uh, always be empathetic. Uh, empathy doesn't mean weak. It means just understanding, uh, the, the other people and their position. Um, if I were to take that into, you know, a supplier negotiation, what that means is understanding what the other company's position is. Um, are they commodity? Are they niche? Um, even if they are commodity, do they perceive themselves as uh, selling a commodity? Um, I would also, yeah, you know, just comment on kind of the styles of, of negotiation because I think this is um, can be really valuable. There's there's kind of the way I think about it, kind of three or four ways of going about it. There's that analytical mindset, just the numbers are the numbers, and um, you know, so what one one set of numbers works and another set does not. So no, you know, knowing the numbers, um, the um, um, but that doesn't always work. There can be collaborative uh, type of, of negotiations where, you know, truly it's win-win. But when you're not, when it's not, um, you know, there, there, of course, you can try to play hardball as well. But um, know the power of silence and uh, know, that, know the power of sometimes being a little irrational if you don't align on something that seems a common fact. It can really throw um, an, another negotiating party off off their game. I mean, the very basics. I'm, my desk is white, but if I if you and I can't agree that it's white and I say it's brown, I, I, it just makes it difficult to, <laughs> to to get to the next step. Sometimes that can be valuable. That's really interesting, and I like the empathy part. I you know I. Typically, when I think about what to um, teach or share or guide, I think of the technical pieces and I think about, you know, different majors they can have in college or if it's somebody at that manager or director level, I think about taking your skill set and applying it to a different position still within your field, but to expand. Uh I, I guess I've never really given much intentional thought to the other things like the empathy um, and trying to understand from your customer's perspective. Um, so that's a really interesting side that I don't think a, a lot of people consciously think about. Well, and you just mentioned something else that's really important, though, and that's um, bringing your skills to another field. I think uh, in business today, there are, you know, I think really forward-thinking companies that recognize that uh, people with a different background is important to their business. If you hire people that think like you, you're just going to get the same results. If you really want to um, think about the world differently or, or uh, expand your business, you need talent that's not necessarily uh, from the same kind of business setting that you're, you're in right now. Yeah, I love um, the clients I work with that are open to somebody that has very transferable skills they just have to learn their product or, you know, something. Um, I think it's a very good sign of the company that they're being very strategic and they're open to somebody coming in and asking why, 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 and they can look internally. But I love candidates like that, that are, you know, looking outside because I know 
they're thinking about their own career. They like to be challenged. They're up for the challenge. Um, you know, and it just shows that that they're going to be a great employee because at some point they could even move from one area to another within that company. So they, you know, become that um, that employee that's you know useful in many many different ways. I, and you're you're so right. And from the employee perspective, you've. If, if you really want to advance and, and succeed, you've got to take some risks along the way. Sign up to be on that, that project or that new product or that technology implementation or whatever it is. Um, you know, let yourself shine. Yeah, that's great. I, I love candidates like that. I'm giving one of my secrets when I'm interviewing that I look for. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I, you know, because I... I just think there's a lot of value to it. Um, and they, you know, if they want to go back to a different field, they can. But I think to try new things is um, exciting and it'll keep them engaged as well. Well, David, I so appreciate you spending time with me today. Uh, I was very excited when you agreed to come on. Um, is there anything that you want to share with other people that I haven't asked you about or you were kind of thinking about as you were preparing for the call today? I, there is, there's just one last parting uh, thought that I have, and that's that you, you and I had talked about at one time that, you know, these mantras that I have, um, that I, I, I try to share with everybody on my team. And that's, um, it, it's four quick things. It's one, be the person in the arena. It comes from, um, and, and if you've not read this, I, I mean, for anybody who's listening, Teddy Roosevelt's uh, speech, it was in Paris. So I'm looking up because it's hanging on my wall in Paris. And uh, April 23rd, 1910, he delivered a speech called The Man in the Arena. It's chilling. And it's all about just being present, being there. Um, and um, it's something I want and expect from uh, everybody on my team. Um, the other uh, couple are keep in mind the serenity prayer meaning know what you can control and what you can't. The hard part, by the way, is knowing, <laughs> being smart enough or wise enough to know the difference between the two. Um, very, very important. And um, win big, fail cheap is the third mantra. And um, also have fun. If you're not having fun, it's probably time to think about, you know, doing, doing something else. Absolutely. I always say life is way too short and you always need to be doing something fun. It is. Well, thank you for sharing those. That's great. I have not read A Man in the Arena. I know I do. Now you say that I do remember us talking about it in the past. So I have to go brush up on that for sure. Absolutely. Thank you again. I will definitely give you a call in the future. I know I've called you in the past um, to bounce ideas off or ask, hey, I'm about to do this. What do you think as a leader in the supply chain area? And good luck with your knee surgery. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, Christina, it's just been an absolute pleasure. I just enjoy all of our conversations and um, so appreciative that you invited me to, to have this conversation today. Thank you for joining Manufacturing 365 today. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. I welcome you to reach out to me. My contact information is listed in the description of each episode. Also, you can check out my company at group928.com or through LinkedIn. I'll see you soon.